name is Joshua. I'm, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we're going to be diving into Exodus chapter 30 and chapter 31 today. So if you want to get your Bibles open, get your swords ready, uh, open up to that, that book. We've been in Exodus for a few weeks now, so um, uh, we'll, we'll dive into this a little further. So today, as you can see, Old Testament to Christ is the, is the title of this sermon. And we're going to dive into it and show how the Old Testament can really point to and show to Christ. And uh, um, it's going to be a little bit of, of a different way, but I think it'll work out. Um, today, uh, I, was, I was thinking back on this past week, and I have this guy that I work with. Um, he's just, every time he says he's going to do something or he's not going to do something, like a day or two goes by and he ends up doing the exact opposite. Does anyone here have somebody they work with, deal with, uh, parent with, friends with, that it just like, over time you just notice like there's certain things that they just don't do what they say they're going to do. And over time, you just kind of lose trust and faith and confidence and whether or not they're actually going to be, you know, do their, what they said they were going to do, their word. Their word was their bond, but then they just break it all the time. And it's like, man, I, I can't trust you. I can't trust you at all. And I was thinking about that this past week because this guy I work with is just... I can't trust him with anything because he just keeps breaking his word. He keeps breaking his promises. But then I started thinking on God's word and the title of the sermon. And I was like, God never breaks his promises. His word is always true. His word, his message, what he says he's going to do, he does. He's very clear. He's concise. He's, I can trust him 100%. 100%. And that is it's just an awesome feeling to be able to have 100% trust and confidence in God, in something, in anything. So, as I was looking at this, I was thinking... What do I, what proofs do I have and what is in the past have, have brought me to this point where I can 100% trust God? And one of those things is looking at the Old Testament and seeing all of the different aspects of it, seeing all of the different pictures of it, all of the different parallels, all the different stories, the history, the things God says he's going to do, whether it be in a picture, a parallel, or even just straight up just saying, this is what's going to happen. And then it does. And it's just an awesome red line that just points straight to Jesus, to the New Testament, and then the New Testament, how it applies to our lives. And it's just this beautiful picture of how he's been controlling and being involved in and, and showing us and teaching us throughout thousands of, gener thousands of years and generation upon generation of showing us how God knew Jesus Christ was going to come to this earth. God knew he was going to die on the cross for us. 
And even back in the Old Testament, he does these little things to point us to it. This little red line of Jesus' blood just kind of sewn through in the entire Old Testament all the way to Christ. And it's just a beautiful and wonderful thing. And I, the reason I bring that up is because so many Christians today will shy away from the Old Testament because they feel it's irrelevant. They fear it's, it's just too old. They fear that it's, uh, there's something in it that is scary or worrisome or that they can't really explain or that they can't rationalize in their 20th century mind. So today we're going to dive a little bit into it and I'm going to show you five big principles, big Christian principles that are in chapter 30 and 31. But before we get there, I'm going to set the stage a little bit here. Chapter 24, you don't have to go there, but chapter 24 of Exodus gives us where Moses is at and what he's doing. And I just want to read this really quick so that when you hear chapter 30 and 31, you know what the, what the stage looks like here, okay? So 24 verses 15 says, Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain, the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain. In the sight of the people of Israel, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain forty days and 40 nights. So that's where he's at right now when he's receiving these instructions as we read chapter 30 and 31. It's been a few weeks since we were there, so I wanted to remind everybody that's where he's at right now, receiving these instructions. So I'll start reading. We're going to read the entirety of chapter 30 and 31, and then we'll go back and we'll revisit some of these very important Christian characteristics um, and foundations of our faith. So chapter 30, here we go. You shall make an altar on which to burn incense. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length, and a cubit its breadth. It shall be square, and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. You shall overlay it with pure gold, its top and around its sides and its horns, and you shall make a molding of gold around it. And you shall make two golden rings for it. Under its molding on two opposite sides of it, you shall make them. And they shall be holders for poles, which to carry it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put it in front of the veil that is above the ark of the testimony in front of the mercy seat that is above the testimony, where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. Every morning when he dresses the lamps, he shall burn it. And when Aaron sets up the lamps at twilight, he shall burn it. A regular incense of offering before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer unauthorized incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, and you shall not pour a drink offering on it. Aaron shall make atonement on its horns once a year. 
with the blood of the sin offering of atonement, he shall make atonement for it once in the year throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is twenty geras, half a shekel as an offering to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from twenty years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than the half shekel. When you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord so as to make atonement for your lives. The Lord said to Moses, You shall also make a basin of bronze with its stands, stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of the meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and his offspring throughout their generations. The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh, 500 shekels, and of sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is, 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blend, as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil, with it, you shall anoint the tent of meeting, and the ark of the testimony, and the table, and all its utensils, and the lampstand, and its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offering, with all its utensils, and the basin, and its stand. You shall consecrate them, that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, that they may serve me as priests. And you shall say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it in, it, it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. The Lord said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stacked, and onicha, and galbanum, sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each shall there be an equal part. And make an incense blend as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy, you shall beat some of it very small, and put part of it be 
before the testimony in the tent of meeting where I shall meet with you. It shall be most holy for you, and the incense that you shall make according to, according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. Chapter 31. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiah, the son of Asmat, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to all able men ability, and they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and the furnishings of the tent, and the table and its utensils, and the pure lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense, and the altar of burnt offerings, and all its utensils, and the basin and its stand, and the finely worked garments, and the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of the sons for, for their service as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place. According to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctified you. And you shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Let's take a moment and pray. And thank our God for His Word before we begin. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You, we praise You, we love You. And Lord, as we sit here today and teach on Your Word and listen and, and dive into it, Lord, I pray that You would hide me and hide all of our sinful nature and that your pure goodness, your word, your truth. And Lord, I pray that Christ 
will be shown forth, not any of our, our sinful nature and our righteousness that is the filthy rags. I pray that today your word would proclaim true in our hearts and our lives. I pray that you'd help us to block out all the cares and worries of the world and that we can focus on worshiping you. Because God, we are here because we love you. We love you so much, Lord. In Jesus Christ, holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, it wasn't quite as long as last week, but it was still a good chunk of scripture. And as you're going through it, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to pull out five main aspects of the Christian faith in these things that a lot of people will skim through and they'll be like, yeah, incenses, altars, sacrifices, these fragrances, got it. But what we're going to see here is that it's really a picture and a showing of the holiness of Lord through these five things. The price being number one, the cleansing being number two, the holiness, number three, the giftings, number four, and last but not least, the resting, the resting that God gives us. So first of all, the price. Let's back up to uh, chapter 30, verse 14 and 15. Verse 14, 14 and 15 says, Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel when you give the Lord's offering, but notice this, to make atonement for your lives. And then later on it says, for a remembrance and for an atonement for your lives. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a price to be paid so that not only can they be a part of that body, a part of that Israeli um, unit, but also as a remembrance of what God did for them, a remembrance and an atonement for their life. It was a price that had to be paid. It was not free. There had to be a price paid. Some of you may be thinking, I know where he's going with this. Absolutely. Because Jesus Christ had to pay a price for us. No, it wasn't in silver. It wasn't in gold. It was in blood. It was in pain. It was in bearing of sin. But as you recount his time on the cross, the time when he was seemingly the most the most sorrowful is when God the Father had to turn on him because he took on sin itself. And when he took on sin itself and then died on that cross and said it was finished, that was him paying that price for us. And if you notice here in the Old Testament, it says that it doesn't matter if you are rich it doesn't matter if you're poor. It doesn't say, oh, well, no, no, no. You just give, you can give a little more if you want to. But you, you only have to give this much. It doesn't say that. It says it doesn't, 
It doesn't matter if you're rich. You can only give this much for this atonement. Why is that? Why is that? I started thinking to myself, why? Well, because when Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, He didn't die any more so or shed any more blood or have any more grief for any one of us more so than another one of us. It was the same. And even today, the price has been paid and it was the same price of the same value. Whether you think you are so morally good and right or whether you have come to the realization that you are just a terrible, wicked, disgusting sinner, the same price was paid for that moral upstanding person and that wicked sinner. So first we see in this Old Testament scripture the pointing to Christ of that the price had to be paid. And the price was paid with Jesus' blood. And secondly, we see the cleansing. The cleansing. So if you follow with me in chapter 30, verse 20 and 21, the cleansing in the bronze basin. When they go into the tent of meeting, starting at verse 21, when they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water, so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet, so that they may not die. He repeats it twice. He said, look, if you go in there and you're unwashed, you're going to die. Have you ever had something so weighty on your life? I mean, I think of some people that have some very dangerous jobs. I think of some people that have some very um, interesting things that they do, maybe for fun. But they put things in place, and they take very specific attention. I was talking a little bit earlier about controlled lightning, and that is electricity of what we, what we use today. I can only imagine an electrician, when he goes up to certain wires, certain connectors, and he's getting ready to hook it up, he probably double checks and even triple checks that the power's not on if he thinks he's going to get electrocuted. Because he might die. Right? That's a pretty weighty subject. And so for some of us, you probably think of a hundred different jobs out there where if you're going to go and do that activity, you're going to ensure that what you do prior to is put in perfectly in place so that you are not in danger of death. So, Aaron took great care in his cleansing before he went in the presence of the Lord. But this is... This wasn't just a normal cleansing. This was a cleansing that also provided a picture for us. You see, his cleansing and his presence before the Lord, there's a relationship there. He had to be cleansed in order to be in the presence of God. The presence of God is a holy place. Being in the presence of God, he will not allow sin near him. Which is why he put this picture in place of him 
cleansing his hands and his feet so that he could be in the presence of God and not die. His life was dependent on whether or not he was cleansed to be in the presence of God. I keep repeating that for a reason. There will come a time and a place unknown to any man where we all will be in the presence of God. Every one of us, everyone on this earth, past, present, and future. And when we come to the presence of God, we have to be cleansed by Jesus' blood. And if we are not cleansed, if when we get to the presence of God, if we are not cleansed by Christ, then comes the second death in the lake of fire. I'm not saying this to scare you. I'm saying this because it's reality. Your life, your life, your eternal life is dependent on being cleaned in the presence of God. And thank God we don't have to sit and toil and worry and concern like the electrician I example I gave or the many different crazy jobs out there that are difficult and that are life-threatening or what Aaron had to go through and to wonder and be concerned of whether or not he was cleansed well enough. We don't have to worry about that. Thank God that Jesus Christ already paid the price so that our cleansing doesn't have to be dependent on us. It is solely and wholly dependent on Jesus Christ and His cleansing of our wickedness. All we have to do is have our eyes open and believe and have faith in Christ. Aren't you thankful for that today? Aren't you thankful that you don't have to worry and toil and concern? If you're a saved, believing Christian today, you don't have to worry and be concerned about what's going to happen when you become to the presence of God. I'm glad. And as he goes to the presence of God, as we continue down these scriptures, and we pull out these aspects of the Christian faith, we not only have the price that was paid, the cleansing of our, of our sin, but we also have a very holy place. We have the holiness of of God. So in verses 37 and 38 of chapter 30, chapter 30, verses 37 to 38, it talks a bit about the holiness of God. Chapter, or verse 37, and the incense that you shall make according to its composition, you shall not make for yourselves. It shall be for you holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from his people. It's kind of odd. A perfume? A little bit of incense? Is it that serious to cut off a person from, from the people because of a perfume that they choose to put on themselves instead of 
for the holiness of God? Say absolutely. Holiness. Some synonyms for holiness. Sanctity. Godliness. Sacredness. Devout. Divine. Righteousness. Goodness. Something that is set apart for godly use only. Only. So, the reason somebody who took this perfume for themselves would be cut out from the people of Israel is because that person would have to have been taking a little piece of what God set apart for His holiness and used it for His own greedy gain, for His own power, for His own pride and vanity. Because you see, these perfumes and these incense, God put smell and taste and these senses in us. He, he placed them there, and He uses them for His glory. Have you ever been walking down the street, maybe at home, maybe you walk into somebody's house, and you smell something, and your mind immediately goes, I've smelled this before. I've thought this before. And it brings you back to a time in your life when you're like, yeah, I remember that. I remember mom's cookies. I remember how they smell. And as soon as you smell that same scent, your mind goes there. Or maybe your, your wife or your husband wears a certain fragrance. And every time you smell it, you're like, yep, that's my better half right there. That's awesome. Or maybe you smell something that doesn't smell good. But it brings you back to the last time you smelled it. And it's just like, ugh. And your mind immediately goes there. Well, if this perfume is only to be used at the altar, in the holy place, in this tent, in this place where burnt offerings were to be used in this place where the presence of God was, where Aaron had to wash himself before going in, Aaron and his sons, in the presence of God, that was the smell being used, that was the fragrance being used, that was the, the taste being used. That's what God wanted to be, to be associated with that smell. So anytime you smelled it, the Israel people would think, yep, God's presence. And it would be a remembrance to them of who God was and how great God is. And this exact scent, he's very specific of this exact scent. It's just amazing how God can put these things together for our use as long as we use it right. But how do we use what's holy today? that we may be, used, may be tempted to use for our own vanity, our own greed. I would argue today that this word, this book, this collection of books, poems, letters, this word of God can be used for our own vanity, our own greed, our own power, it can be used for our own pride if used wrongly. Because we see it all the time. We see those coffee cup 
verses that are pulled completely out of context to make it say something completely different than what it actually says. And I'm not saying that putting a verse on a coffee cup is wrong. I'm not saying making a, a profit off of selling these things is necessarily wrong. But if your motives, if those companies' motives are to sell those things, to do those things, to propagate God's word in order to make them, themselves rich, or give themselves power, or give themselves that pride of being an upstanding citizen, if that's the motive of using these scriptures, then that person is most likely not a Christian and cut off from God's people. I'm saying these things like most likely because I'm not God. And I don't know for sure. But what I do know is what God's Word says. And it says, if you're going to use these things that are holy to the Lord in this improper way, and you use it for yourself instead of the holiness of God, then you are to be cut off. You are to be cut off. Let us be careful and let us be concerned and let's, let us always be ready to give an account. And let us always use God's word for what it says rather than what we want to say for our own gain. And in our own gain, we don't need to use the holiness of the Lord to, to feed these things. God gives us gifts to use so that we can provide what we need for ourselves in this, in this world. And that's our, my next main point, is the gifting of God. So we had the price, the cleansing, the holiness, and now the gifting, the giftings of Christ. Follow me down to chapter 31, verses 3 and 5. Chapter 31 of Exodus 3 to 5 says... And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, that's Bezalel, with the ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, to work in every craft. Pretty awesome. Given this guy these abilities to work in metal and stones and wood in order to make this beautiful altar and offering and tent and all the utensils that go along with it, that's awesome. It may be awesome, but think on your own life. You have giftings. God has given you giftings. God has given you abilities. God has given you hobbies. God has given you things that you do on a regular basis. That is a gift. Your ability is a gift from God. And some of you are sitting there going, no, there's nothing special about me. I have no giftings. I'm not special. And I would have to say, yes, you are. You absolutely are. Because God has given you a gift. And I'm going to prove it to you. Because 
right now you're in self-pity mode and you're in denial. So let's wake up out of that a little bit and let's just do a quick little list of all the things, not all the things, I'm not even scratching the surface here, but if you can do anything in construction, you have a gift. If you can work in AB, you have a gift. If you are, have any sort of musical talent, you have a gift. By the way, side note, it is a commandment to actually sing to the Lord. So even if you're not talented in that, we still want you to make a joyful noise out there. Here we go. Yeah. So, next things. Uh, media. If you can get on your phone on FaceSpace, Instachat, Snapagram, or whatever it is, and you can post things and do stuff like that and communicate with people through that, guess what? You've been gifted. Because I have a really hard time doing that. So, you're obviously special because not everybody can do that. Technology, if you can mess around with all the smart gadgets, you have a gifting. If you can cook, even if it's one dish, if you can cook, you've been gifted. If you can clean, and most people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, push them off. Anybody can do that. No, no, no. That is a gifting because there are certain stains and there are certain chemicals and there are certain things that, like, some people just know exactly, like, oh, yeah, 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 that, that is this type of ink, so you need this, this, and this. Slap it on there, and it comes off. And I'm like, ha, huh. gifted. Flat out gifted, because I would have never been able to figure that out. Hospitality. If you have a dwelling where you can have people over to your house and, like, hang out with them and chit-chat and have a good time, share a meal, guess what? You're gifted in hospitality. You can do these things. If you, are, if you can teach, if you have knowledge and wisdom in any subject area or anything, and you can give that to somebody else, guess what? You're gifted. Even if you just have the gift of gab, you're gifted. If you can just talk, if you're just one of those people that just doesn't stop talking, and you're just like, you can ask questions and get people engaged, and you can just... Man, you are gifted. You are gifted. And it's a beautiful and awesome thing that God gave you. Use it. Use it. You see, Aholiab and Bezalel here used their gift to build these beautiful and wonderful areas that are holy to the Lord. They used their giftings to apply to God's word and what God wanted them to use their gifts for. So I would encourage you to use your giftings and be willing to help. Be willing. Actually, 1 Peter 4 through 10, I'm going to flip over there, you don't have to, but 1 Peter breaks down really nicely in the New Testament. It says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since, since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of God's supplies. 
in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. So you see, the giftings of God are given to you by God. Use them for God's glory. And some of you may be thinking, eh, well, you know, I just don't want you to do this because I don't want to put myself out there or someone else is already doing these things that I'm gifted in, so I'll just hang off by the side. That's fine. It's fine. Actually, Tim Hawkins does a bit on that. And uh, he, uh, he's a comedian, so don't take this. This is sar sarcasm, okay? If anybody doesn't get my sarcasm, this is sarcasm, so don't, don't freak out. Um, so Tim Hawkins does this bit about how some people will come up to him at church and be like, Oh, Tim, you have got a servant's heart. You have got a servant's heart. And he's thinking, oh, great. That means I'm going to start stacking some chairs. That's what I'm going to be doing. Yep, stacking some chairs because they want me to serve and I'm just kind of hanging out in the background. So the thing is, is all of you have abilities. All of you can do something. All of you have giftings. But there's even things that you don't really need to have a special need for. Actually, just this, this morning, um, I'm not going to name her name because it would probably... She would be like, oh, no. She, I was mentioned from the pulpit. Um, but I was folding those bulletins y'all got when you were coming in this morning. And I was sitting up here just kind of folding away and humming along with the songs that were being practiced. And uh, this young lady comes up, and she's like, oh, hey, um, I'll help you fold some of those. I'm not doing anything right now. It's like, awesome. Check that out. Someone just kind of pops up and just starts helping me fold instead of sitting back and just watching somebody else do something. It didn't take any special, you know, ability. It was just folding pamphlets. But it was a blessing to me. And it really encouraged me. And then I thought on this and I was like, man, God, you are good. You are so good. And if you want to dive a little bit further into, into giftings, I'm not going to do it now. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you want to look at that later, it really dives into the different parts of a body, and it likens it to a church, and how everybody in a church body is a part of that church body, and we all have special gifts, and we all use them, and we don't conflict with one another, but we all just work together in harmony as a church and as a body should. So I encourage you to dive into that later. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's a, it's a beautiful correlation between the body and the church. So we have, we have the price that was paid. We have the cleansing. We have the holiness. We have the giftings that we all have. And lastly, we have the resting the resting on the Sabbath that God gives us. So let's go down to verse 12 in chapter 31. Verse 12, we'll start there. And the Lord said to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, notice these next two words, above all, if God says above all, it's, it's probably pretty important. So, 
Once again, that was my sarcasm. It is important, not just probably could be important. It's important. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Now some of you are going to get hung up on that last little part, like, oh no, so if I don't show up to church every day and I don't rest every Sunday, then I'm going to be cut off from his people. Well, Jesus actually defines some of those things and he, he, uh, he explains some of those things for the, for the new covenant. So in Luke chapter 6, I'm only going to go over one of the explanations, but he actually talks about um, a couple different things. Um, to explain what to and not to do, and the kind of the spirit of the law, if you will. Um, I, I talk about this with my kids quite often. I feel like I, I talk about it a lot, but the law is meant to guide us. The law is meant to show us our sin, to show us and help us. But there's a spirit of every law, and Jesus helps explain the spirit of that law. And let me, let me read this portion in Luke chapter 6 from verse 6 down to, uh, I think it's 11. Uh, here's what he says about the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So it was crippled and not working properly and all messed up. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so that they might find a reason to accuse him, him being Jesus. But he knew that, he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with one another what they might do to Jesus. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him heal a man, help a man with a terrible injury, and they discussed amongst themselves about how to destroy Jesus because of it. And before that, he gives another example of collecting food on the Sabbath. And he was trying to show that the scribes and Pharisees were being way too legalistic way too letter of the law rather than the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is to give rest and holiness and give thanks and remembrance to God. So, this would come up in what I'm doing right now. If this was my 
the way I made my living, would I be working right now as a pastor? Well, someone could argue, well, then you're working on the Sabbath. See, it's the spirit of the law, the letter of the law. The spirit of the law and the letter of the law. If I am going down the road and I break the speed limit because I just wanted to get somewhere faster because I was being greedy and selfish and I didn't care about those around, the, around me, well, then if I should absolutely get pulled over and I should get a ticket. But if the same person was driving down the road and going over the speed limit because his pregnant wife was in the back seat and she, he was trying to get her to the hospital or someone who had gotten injured and was losing blood fast and was about to die. They needed to get him to the ER and they were flying down the road and then the police car comes up. I would argue that most police officers would escort that person to the ER and there would be no ticket given. Because that's the difference between the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. You see, Jesus helps explain many of these letters of the law from the Old Testament and show us the spirit of the law and the reason for the law. And he does it very well. So, the reason for the Sabbath, the resting, the focus on Christ. This time during the week, once a week, where we can look at it and remember that God created this earth in six days. And on the seventh, He rested. So every time we rest on this day of the week, we can think back and go, God is good. God did all of this. God created everything. And then on the Sabbath, we can also remember that our bodies, our physical bodies, require rest. And He cares for us so much that He gives us this day to rest, relax, calm ourselves, and focus on who God is. And our bodies do need rest. They absolutely need rest. There's, a, there's actually a, an article I saw quite recently... Um, about an individual who is trying to see what the effects of not having any sleep would do to the, to the human body, what it, what, what it would cause. After day one, he was having a hard time just kind of focusing on things. Day two, he was having a lot of issues just trying to hold things or focus on anything. His vision was blurred. He was getting all messed up in the head. By day three, four, and five, he was getting close to having to be hospitalized because he just couldn't function appropriately without rest, without sleep. And ladies and gentlemen, we need rest. We need sleep. Not just our physical bodies, but our spiritual, our emotional, and our time to remember who Christ is is so very important in our lives. So very important. So as you can see, Christ, when, I, when we dive into these five things, Christ is showing himself through the Old Testament and pointing a perfect line all the way to him and to the New Testament and giving us these things that when you first read over, you're just like, yeah, incense, basins and water and censuses and oils and 
Sabbath sky. But when you dive a little bit further into this Old Testament scripture, when you dive a little bit further into Exodus or any of these books, you can see the price that was paid. You can remember about the price that was paid, the cleansing of our souls, the holiness of God, the giftings that He has given each and every one of us, and the rest on the Sabbath that we so sorely need. But what I want to do now is to help you, because you can take these five things and you can just go, yep, those are five things of the Christian life, and move on. What I want to help you do is give you a verse to walk out of here with, to remember on God, and to know what to do from here. What can you take from here to apply these in your life? And I'm going to give you this one, This actually it's a quick series of verses, it's just kind of broken up funny. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. For all of you note takers, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Yes, all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So for all of you wondering what to do with what you've been given today, apply that verse to your life. Rejoice, pray. This is the will of God. And let us pray as we close. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for giving to us, even though we're so undeserving. Lord, thank you for giving us these pictures, these parallels, this direction. Lord, thank you for your Holy Spirit to guide us, to show us right and wrong. And Lord, most of all, thank you for sending your Son to die on a cross, to go through agony and pain, to apply sin to himself, to be perfectly innocent, but to die for us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for giving us this, this way to you. We thank you for having your son die on a cross so that we can be in the presence of you and one day be in heaven with you and be clean with the blood of Christ. Lord, we love you so much. In your holy name we pray. Amen.